Hello London, we are ready for your vote. Hello, I'm Stephen Perkins and this is Douzepois, the Eurovision fan podcast from the Binge Watch family, where every fortnight I take a stroll through the history of the competition, unearthing fun and fascinating facts along the way. Now, the more observant of you might have noticed that it hasn't actually been a fortnight since our last episode, it's only been a week, but producer Liam and I agreed that it wasn't fair to leave a story half-finished for that long, so I am back earlier than planned to continue the story of the ever-changing rules of the Eurovision Song Contest. Last week I covered things from the very start of the competition in 1956 to the fairly arbitrary cut-off point of 1989, so today I will be taking you from 1990 to the present day. Where we left things after many, many changes to the voting system, it had reached the point that we're all familiar with nowadays, where each nation awards points to 10 other countries, their favourite song getting 12 points, the second favourite getting 10 points, and then going down the line from 8 to 1 points for songs 3 to 10. But what was on the horizon was a fairly seismic shift for the competition, as the breakup of the USSR and an increasing number of newly independent countries wanting to establish a name for themselves at Eurovision was going to force the contest to get creative as it sought to accommodate them all. And that's what we'll be talking about today. However, we're going to start in 1990 with something a little bit less dramatic, as new rulings are brought in regarding the minimum age limit for contestants. In the wake of 13-year-old Sandra Kim winning for Belgium in 1986, and two contestants in 1989 being even younger than her, 11-year-old Natalie Pack representing France, and 12-year-old Gilly Natanel being half of the Israeli entry, countries began to express reservations about the ethics of sending young children to Eurovision, and a new rule was agreed that all competitors must be a minimum of 16 years old on the day of the contest. Contest. This means that Sandra Kim remains to this day the youngest winner of the main competition, but youngsters have of course had a junior Eurovision from 2003 onwards. In the last episode, I mentioned that the EBU set a rule restricting the number of competing entries to 22 in 1987, but that number had already crept up to 23 by 1992, and by 1993 the breakdown of the Eastern Bloc as well as the disintegration of Yugoslavia meant that there were a great many new countries wanting to take part, and the EBU needed to find ways of accommodating them without having the contest run for 8 hours. The first experiment into how to do this happened in 1993, where a separate qualifying round was held, but only for countries who had never competed at Eurovision before. It was called, and please pardon my appalling attempt at Slovenian here, Qualificatia za Mill Street, or Pre-Selection for Mill Street in English, named for the Irish town where the 1993 contest was being held. Ljubljana was the host city, and seven nations competed for three available debut slots in the contest. The countries taking part were Bosnia and Herzegovina, Croatia, Estonia, Hungary, Romania, Slovenia and Slovakia. Each competing nation sent a juror to Slovenia to vote on the entries of the other nations, and due to the limited number of countries taking part, they would give points ranging from 12 down to just 5. Slovenia, Bosnia and Herzegovina and Croatia were the three countries with the most votes at the end of the process and won the right to take part in the main Eurovision that year, with Slovenia finishing 22nd, Bosnia and Herzegovina finishing 16th and Croatia finishing 15th. It was obvious, however, that this process wasn't going to be a long-term solution. So in 1994, we had perhaps the biggest rule change since the very beginning of Eurovision, the arrival of relegation. To make room for newcomers, the EBU decided that the seven countries at the bottom of the scoreboard in 1993 would sit out in 1994, allowing Estonia, Hungary, Lithuania, Poland, Romania, Russia and Slovakia to make their debut. This meant no seat at the table in 1994 for Belgium, Israel, Denmark, Slovenia, Turkey, Luxembourg and Cyprus, although Italy later announced that they would not be taking part that year, which granted Cyprus a reprieve and allowed them to take part after all. 
all of these countries bar Luxembourg, whose absence from the competition would last until 2024, were able to compete again in 1995, when the seven lowest-ranked countries from 1994 were relegated. Now, in 1996, the system was changed to something a little bit more like the pre-selection from 1993, except this time everyone had to participate, apart from host broadcaster Norway. Every country wishing to compete was required to send in a tape of their entry for an audio-only pre-selection to be held in March, where juries from all nations, including Norway, would listen to the songs three times before voting. 29 countries competed for a total of 22 spots in the final, with Germany, Denmark, Hungary, Israel, Macedonia, Romania and Russia missing out, making this the only Eurovision in history without an entry from Germany in the contest proper. This process was only attempted once, as the general concept of an audio-only private semi-final didn't sit well with a lot of people, particularly Germany. So the rules changed again in 1997, where it was decided that qualification would be determined by an average of your scores under the previous four contests. Any countries excluded under the system would automatically qualify the following year, which allowed Macedonia to make their official debut in 1998. But that wasn't the only rule change in 1997, as this is where the power starts to slip away from the juries. 1997 saw a trial of televoting in five countries, the United Kingdom, Sweden, Austria, Switzerland and Germany. And there was another alteration too, this time on the musical front. The rules on backing tracks were relaxed, meaning performers were free to use any combination of live and recorded music without needing to show all instruments featured live on the stage. This is thought to have been inspired, at least in part, by the slightly surreal need for Gina G to have an Apple Macintosh on stage with her in 1996. Following that successful trial in 1997, from 1998 all countries were expected to vote via televote, except in cases where this wouldn't be possible for logistical reasons, in which case a backup jury's votes were used, constituting 16 people divided equally between members of the public and industry professionals. In 1999, we took another step closer to the modern face of the contest when the language rules were relaxed once more, allowing countries to submit an entry in absolutely any language they like, and also finally disposing of the live orchestra, replacing it with backing tapes, which I know is still a sore point for many viewers, but I think was probably the right move to ensure the continued relevance of the contest, and from a more mercenary perspective, it also saved them a fair old chunk of money. And speaking of rule changes that shaped the face of the modern competition, 2000 was another slightly controversial year, because this was the arrival of the Big Four, when it was deemed that, by nature of their sizeable financial contribution to the contest, the UK, France, Germany and Spain would qualify automatically each year. This didn't actually affect things much in 2000, as only France would have been relegated under the existing system, but, as any fan of the current system knows, it has saved everyone's asses at least once since then. Now, in 2001, there was a very subtle rule change, which I hadn't even known about prior to doing my research for this podcast, and it's going back to the method of voting. Countries were allowed to choose either a 100% televote or a 50-50 jury televote split. Now, this was only in place for two years, however, and by the time of the 2003 contest, we were back to a full televote or SMS system, except in cases where it wasn't plausible to do so, and the size of the backup juries dropped to just eight people in 2004. Meanwhile, the number of countries allowed to compete kept trickling ever upward, with the upper limit raised to 24 in 2002 and again to 26 in 2003, where it has stayed ever since, apart from the slight exception granted for Australia in 2015. Also in 2001, there was a slight amendment to the tiebreak system. The countback system, where a tie would be broken by whoever had received the highest individual scores from countries, was not only used to determine the winner, but also the qualifiers for the following year. And if the tie could not be broken in this way, all tied countries would be declared winners. 
And this brings us in a roundabout way to 2004, where the shape of the competition changes permanently, because the concept of relegation was dropped for good, and a semi-final round was introduced instead. The Big Four countries still qualified automatically, along with the 10 highest placed non-Big Four finishers from the previous year. In this case, Turkey, Belgium, Russia, Norway, Sweden, Austria, Poland, Iceland, Romania and Ireland. 22 countries competed in the semi-final for 10 more available spots in the final, and the tiebreak system was amended to apply to the 10th place qualifier from the semi-final. Now, in 2006, we come to what was genuinely a quite a sad moment for me. The sheer size of the contest meant that it was no longer feasible for every country spokesperson to read out all of the points individually. So, to help crunch time, the points awarded from 1 to 7 would flash up on screen only, and it would be down to the individual commentators for each country to point out anything particularly noteworthy within them. The spokesperson, on the other hand, would simply announce the top three countries in their vote with their 8, 10 and 12 point scores. While the arrival of the semi-final was supposed to fix everything, by 2007 we were in a slightly ridiculous situation where the semi-final had more entries in it than the final itself, with 28 versus 24. So from 2008 onwards we moved to having two semi-finals, and a new system where your scores in the previous contest counted for nothing. Unless you were one of the big four, or the host country, you had to compete in the semis and earn your place in the final. Only the countries that competed in each semi-final would get to vote in them, and the Big Four and the host nation would be split across the two. There were 20 spots available in the final, but only the top 9 in the televote from each semi-final would automatically qualify, and the final place in each one would be awarded by the juries. This system was controversial for the two years it was in play, chiefly because on both occasions it stiffed Macedonia, who finished 10th in their respective televote, but were ditched in favour of a country who'd finished lower than they did. Also in 2007, the tiebreak system was amended to ditch the rule, where there would be joint winners if the tie couldn't be broken on the basis of individual scores, and instead, in these instances, the winner would be the song that performed earlier. And from 2008 onwards, the tiebreak system was now in place for the entire competition, rather than just applying to the winner and the 10th place qualifier. Now, just when you thought the juries were gone for good, they were restored to the competition in 2009, but only for the final, where the votes were taken from a 50-50 jury and televote split. The semi-finals were still 100% televote that year, but by 2010, the jury and televote split was extended to the semi-finals as well. This was intended as a method of ensuring the overall fairness of the contest, but it came alongside a new rule in 2010 that seemed anything but fair. The voting lines now opened at the first song, meaning that songs were on earlier in the running order would potentially have an advantage in the televote. However, this was ditched after two years, and in 2011, the number of countries in the final was raised to 26 as Italy returned to the competition and the Big Four became the Big Five. The next change came in 2013 when the EBU decided to change the voting rules for combining the jury and televote scores very slightly. Where before the scores had been combined by awarding the 12, 10 and 8 to 1 points to the top 10 songs in each set of votes and adding the scores together to find an overall top 10, now the televote and each juror would be used to rank every single song competing from first to last, and those ratings would be then combined to find the overall top 10, and in the event of a tie, the song that performed better in the televote would take priority. This was also the year where the rules were changed regarding the running order of the show itself. Previously, the entire order was determined by random draw, but from 2013, the draw was for simply the first half or the second half, and the producers were allowed to decide the order for themselves within those parameters, to come up with a running order that made both dramatic and logistical sense. 
2015 saw the introduction of a new rule that would allow the EBU to invite guest nations from outside the European Broadcasting Area and the Council of Europe to take part, although to date, Australia is the only country to have received such an invitation. 2016 is when we had perhaps the biggest shakeup of the overall scoring system in decades, when the EBU decided that, rather than combining the jury and televote scores into an overall ranking, two separate sets of scores would now be awarded. So, in 2016, we went through the usual job of calling all the spokespeople and receiving their country's points, although now the points from 1 to 10 would flash up on the screen, and the spokesperson would be only announcing the country receiving the 12 points. However, they would be speaking for the juries only, and once all of the scores from the juries had been received, the televote scores would be added separately in reverse order, so going from the country with the lowest televote points to the country with the most. This meant that the number of points available was effectively doubled, and the potential for a huge surprise late in the voting was maximised, changing the contest forever. Also, in 2016, the tiebreak system was changed once again, so that ties were broken by the country that received more points in the televote, and in the event of a tie in the televote too, then by the country that received the highest number of 12s, 10s, 8s, and so on until the tie is broken. And if somehow that still didn't break the tie, again, the winner would be the song that performed earliest. Now in 2018, and here is one for the maths nerds among you, the system was more or less the same, but the jury voting was now changed to an exponential weighting model. Now I have absolutely no chance of explaining this in a way that makes sense because I only just understand it myself, having had my much more clever husband explain it to me, but essentially it re reduces the risk of a single juror wildly changing their country's jury score by ranking an otherwise popular song suspiciously low. Now, if you are mathematically inclined and you do want to find out exactly how that works in practice, we have included a link to the EBU's explanation of it in the episode description, so feel free to go there and check it out. In 2019, we moved to the current system for the grand final, where the order of the televote reveal was changed, so instead of going from lowest to highest in televote order, we now go from lowest to highest in jury score order. So the country that's at the bottom of the leaderboard after the jury votes are in will get their score first, and the country that won the jury vote would hear their televote score last. This was, I'm sure, entirely unintentionally, a pretty good year to debut that system, because North Macedonia won the jury vote, and had to wait right until the very end to learn that they'd finished 12th in the televote with 58 points, dropping them to 7th overall. Though their representative, Tamara Tadevska, seemed to anticipate this turn of events, and took it with good humour. In 2021, a rule change was introduced to allow pre-recorded backing vocals. This was largely brought in as an accommodation because of COVID-19, reducing the number of people on stage, as well as the risk of key performers being unable to perform if they had to self-isolate, although it also helped as another modernisation method. And finally, we come to 2023, where the semi-finals were changed back to being 100% televote, possibly influenced by Azerbaijan having qualified for the final in 2022, despite having received precisely zero points from the voters at home. Though the finals remained a 50-50 jury and televote split, as usual. And a new element was added for all three shows where non-participating countries could vote online, and their votes were represented with a single rest-of-the-world score within the televote. And there we have it. That is how the rules of Eurovision have changed from the very beginning to the present day, and I dare say they will continue to be revised and tweaked for as long as the contest exists. I hope you've enjoyed this reasonably exhausted two-part exploration of one of the nerdiest elements of the contest, and I will be back in a fortnight with a brand new subject to explore. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform and check for updates on Twitter at bingewatch underscore pod. Until next time, good night Europe, and good morning Australia. Australia.